Welcome back to Campaign War Stories. This is the podcast where we talk to folks in the political industry about the lessons learned during the insanity of campaign life. Today, we're joined by Nicole Schlinger, owner of Campaign HQ out of Iowa, one of the most important states on the presidential campaign trail, which means Nicole has some fun stories to tell. So how's it going, Nicole? Excellent. How are you doing today? Doing well. It's like 100 degrees here in Charleston, South Carolina. So I'm uh, just trying to stay cool. So, well, it is it is beautiful in Iowa this week. I think it's been high has been 85, not humid. It's it is perfect for presidential caucus campaigning. I know if they're not here, they're there, right? That's right. <laughs> so what's got you busy these days? Are you working so, on any presidential? Are y'all are you pretty busy there? So uh, we have not signed up with any presidential campaign uh, this cycle yet. And this is uh, this is really the first time, I think, since 1999 that I've gone into the summer of caucus season unaffiliated. And it has been it has been a lot of fun to be on this side. Yeah, I bet um, we are doing Vivek Ramaswamy's campaign. Mm-hmm. We're doing the digital there. And we didn't get a break this year. I mean, we went mm-hmm. straight from so we did Herschel Walker where we got mm-hmm. our collective asses kicked um but you know so that went into december then we came into the new year immediately signed up with vivek have been hustling to get enough donors to get him on the debate stage it's been fun because he's great and a poll just came out that's got us in second place uh but it's been exhausting already absolutely and we we didn't get that non-election year vacation at all Although um, at uh, at Campaign HQ, we um, we work on getting people elected and then we work on holding them accountable. So usually first six months of the year for us is very much taken up with um, with issue advocacy. So yeah. uh, we have worked on a whole host of school choice battles all over the country, which nice. has been absolutely fun. Uh, it is it is exciting to me to hold especially to hold Republicans accountable to come through and actually keep their campaign promises, because yeah. when we work on elections, and then we wish them well for two years and come back. Um, they don't always do what we ask them to. So, um, so I really I love the issue side of it because uh, you know, eventually you will never agree with a candidate on one hundred percent of the things one hundred percent of the time. But yeah. the issues are the issues, and they do not let you down. Uh, school choice is a fun one too, and it's making a lot of progress right now. I have actually yes. been a flip flopper on this issue. I. I did some anti-school choice stuff 20 years ago, and my mind has since been changed. And I think a lot of it had to do with having children yeah. and um, and then COVID and seeing my children in private school now being two years ahead of our friends' kids who either didn't have school or had this Zoom BS where kids weren't paying attention and, you know, it saddens me, you know, obviously I'm lucky to be in a financial place where I could put my kids in private school, but so many can't. And uh, it, it sucks that these other kids are behind. And I wish everybody had this uh, opportunity now and everything we could do to make it a little easier for them. I think we should. Exactly. And it's um, it has been exciting and fun to me to just to see the difference in voters, parents, particularly caring about education, um, the amount of time, effort, attention, money that's in school board races right now, I think is indicative of that. Um, really think it was COVID. Yeah, absolutely. It opened people's eyes uh, when they we saw their kids at the home time. not learning. Yeah. I mean, and that that's we can sit here and uh, I can barely pay attention on an hour long Zoom call. Yeah. 
these kids, they can't pay attention more than 15 minutes and they're running around and it was a debacle across the country. So I, I'm glad it's making progress. But Nicole, where did, how did you get started in politics? What's your background? Well, uh, my first, I guess I was my first, um, my first exposure to politics was my first job. Uh, I worked at the drive through at Hardee's and uh, my, uh, my first paycheck was supposed to be $24. And I got my paycheck and it was $16. And my dad had to sit me down and explain taxes. Right. And so uh, my political career has basically been a lifelong quest to get my eight bucks back. Uh, <laughs> that being can said, I, yeah. I'm going to pause you for a second and tell you something I think we should do. I, I, this is so random. I was thinking, I was having a conversation here at the office recently. I think we need to go back to paper paychecks. Yes. Because I think because of direct deposits, this younger generation that never had a paper paycheck, they don't physically see the amount of taxes being taken out of their paycheck. And I think that has hurt conservatives because I think yours, I think that story as simple and kind of cheesy, you know, for as it is, yeah, is so true. I think when you see the actual number, mm-hmm. people start thinking more about taxes and government. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I didn't even, I never even thought about that, but you're right. I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't open that pay stub that comes as a PDF in my email no, every two nobody weeks. Nobody does. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt well, you. Okay. It's just something that we've been talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, so I, um, I wound up uh, being an intern for my congressman in 1994. And they suggested uh, when I went back to school that I should work on uh, that I should work on campaigns. And so um, I did phone banking at the Onondaga County Republican Party in 1994. So um, when I graduated and got on the campaign in 1996, I did not realize Republican congressional candidates ever lost. It was, it was, <laughs> re- it was a revelation to me that someone really? wouldn't win. Uh, so I worked for a candidate. I graduated college early, went to work for this uh, congressional candidate uh, who lived just north of the district where I grew up. Um in New York State, they used to have, uh, they still have eight parties, but uh, they used to have their primary the week after Labor Day. But the minor parties, conservative, right to life, libertarian, would do endorsement uh, nomination conventions in the summer. And so um, a lot of it was a lot of wag the dog. So uh, if the minor party lines would endorse and they didn't endorse your candidate, um, you'd get a call from the state party chair saying, hey, buddy, it's time for you to go, because if that minor party line was going to capture 1500 votes in a race that you think might be decided by 1100 votes, you can't justify staying on the ballot and splitting up our lines as Republicans. So mm-hmm. um, my candidate got that call and he dropped out. And uh, there I was. I Basically, at the time I would have graduated if I'd stayed in school, uh, unemployed, but uh, having raised one hundred and fifty thousand bucks for a guy who couldn't make it past June. So um, I talked to um, I'd met someone at the NRCC and they uh, they faxed my resume a whole bunch of places. And so I wound up working for Mike Mahaffey uh, in 1996. He he ran for Congress in an open seat here in Iowa. And um, that's how I got to Iowa. So I I'd, I'd intended uh-huh. to come here for a six month gig. And here it is. 2023. I'm still here. Wow. Goodness. And then how did campaign, uh, sorry, how did campaign HQ come about? 
Yeah. Uh, so after that losing congressional race, I went, uh, I worked at the state party and I was the finance director there for a couple of years. And um, my chairman left, the executive director was replaced. And, you know, when you're the finance director and your chairman and your ED are booted, you kind of know you're next. So <laughs> um, I'd met, I'd met all of the legislative candidates, legislative leadership, the congressional campaign managers, it was pretty clear that there was it was pretty clear that there was an interest in having a professional fundraiser but these individual legislative candidates weren't going to need someone like me or pay someone like me full time so um i figured if i could string four or five of them together that'd be a pretty good business so um so i had three of them signed and i gave my two weeks notice and uh that was the business i started in and at the time, Iowa was not a Republican state at that time. It's mm-hmm. not what it is today. And uh, we had we had plenty of cam- candidates who were very promising candidates who ran and lost, ran and lost. And so um, it got to the point, um, you know, by by 2000, 2004, 2005, 2006, um, in terms of fundraising, I'd kind of own the marketplace uh, and uh, I got really, really sick of asking donors for money and watching a bunch of GCs and campaign managers light their money on fire. And then I had to go back and explain to the donors why they wasted their money again. And so uh, we started in uh, in 2007, we signed up with Mitt Romney for a straw poll campaign. And, and I started to see the light, which was, hey, if you can get into the voter contact side of things, you can really make a difference. And so yeah. um, really after that race, after that winning straw poll, I never I never looked back. And um, we started doing work outside of Iowa in the voter contact space um, because of quality conversation and quality data capture and a smart voter contact plan really, really matters in these close races. And so um, that's how we uh, that's how we ditched our original business model and got to where we are on this call today. So what do you guys really specialize in now? Uh, live calls, automated calls, text messages, telephone town halls. So if you nice. want to talk to a voter using their 10 digit number and you want to have a smart voter contact plan that's going to actually make a difference and move those persuadables and turn out those low propensity voters, that's what we do. We're phone specialists. Nice. So what kind of races are you mostly focused on right now? So um, we have we have worked on everything from school board races up to presidential campaigns. Uh, our bread and butter is really um, inter- you know, issue groups that like to both elect candidates and hold them accountable. Um, we love the permanence of being able to work methodically towards a goal like passing school choice or passing pro-life legislation or cutting taxes that you can work on methodically over many election cycles until you ultimately get what you want, which is victory. Um, we do a lot of work with consultants around the country, um, GCs who understand the value and the importance of voter contact, and they're going to work on three to five races in their state. Those are great clients for us. Um, nice. And, you know, and then the individual races kind of fill in in between that. So you're nationwide. Yes. We did our first project in Vermont last year. So we can now say we've done work in all 50 states. <laughs> nice. Congratulations. We did that project at a discount. Well, just to get to all 50 states. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes it's just marketing. <laughs> exactly. I said, look, just charge that guy 50 bucks. Let's just do this. I know. I'm still looking for like that one opportunity to do something international because we haven't done anything international just so we can say we're an international company. I'll do it for free. Let's go elect someone in wherever yeah. the hell. But <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we've done some, that one off. We've done some phone work in Canada. It was surprisingly really? difficult. Yeah. Uh, I, we speak the same language, but 
but in a way we don't. Their precincts are called ridings and their elections are um, their election speak is different. Nice. Yeah, we've pitched a few in Europe and and haven't nailed them down yet. But one day we will be pushed yeah. worldwide. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Our West Wesley worldwide sounds really, really nice. Oh. Um, so you've been doing this a long time. Mm-hmm. You got any favorite stories you'd like to tell? Uh, I have a few. Uh, so obviously, the, yeah, uh, you know, being in Iowa, obviously, we are we're on the front lines for presidential campaigns. And so we mm-hmm. get to see candidates early and, um, you know, we see candidates go from, you know, one or two percent in the polls being entirely unknown to all of a sudden being a national sensation. So a yeah. couple things. Uh we um we signed up with Mitt Romney in 2007 and ran his straw poll effort. So um we signed up with him, I think the a couple the week after Thanksgiving in 2006. Wow. And uh they announced the date of the Iowa straw poll in December of 2006, which was before Mitt Romney announced his campaign or an exploratory committee and before he had a committee to pay for anything. Mm-hmm. And the Iowa straw poll is essentially a turnout butts in seats operation. It was a dry run for can you turn people out to caucuses. And so um, the way it worked was you would get buses coming from all corners of the state. You'd fill up your supporters with these buses. You'd get them down to Ames, Iowa. They, you'd feed them. They'd vote. You'd get them back on the bus and go home. Well, our plan for Mint was on the day they announced the straw poll uh, date, we were going to reserve every single bus available in the state of Iowa. So no other candidate could have buses. And if they needed buses, they'd have to get them. They'd have to deadhead the buses in from another state and pay twice as much. Well, what? like I told you, he didn't have a campaign committee. That was kind of uh, genius. I- yeah. So they were uh, evil, it was, kind of a little bit of evil too, but it's yeah. genius. <laughs> I love it was, it. it was a lot of fun. Uh, so, um, so there was no campaign committee. So I put the deposit for all of these buses on my credit card. Oh no. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I mean, like, my means are not Mitt Romney's means just <laughs> to put it mildly. Uh, and actually the amount of the deposits that I had on credit card for those buses was more than I had in my business checking account at the time. So oh, no. it was it was a tense Christmas at my home. I'm sure. So holy crap. What do they still have yeah. the Iowa straw poll? No. Uh 2011 was the last Iowa straw poll. And that the one uh, like Michelle Bachman won or something. And then yes. yeah, and then they were like, ah, enough of this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I think the problem was that um, you know, once you had In 2000, frankly, in 2008, John McCain skipped the straw poll. He eventually he ultimately became our nominee. Mm -hmm. And Mitt Romney, you know, who that year came in as the front runner, uh, had kind of a, you know, understandably. So his team had kind of a sour taste in their mouth about um, doing all of the right things in Iowa, courting all of the right people, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and ultimately, you know, ultimately coming in second to Mike Huckabee. So, um, you know, so I think that there was. There was the belief that we could skip the straw poll, still win the caucus and still win the nomination. And once that became once that became a viable possibility, it was hard for the party to it was hard yeah. for the party to continue. I mean, obviously, I know it's no longer like a big deal. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if they even had it at all anymore, though. No, no it's no. gone. Wow. Um, 2015, uh, they announced early, relatively early in 2015. They wouldn't have it. So um Ted Cruz got his caucus win without having to go through the straw poll. <laughs> well, that's sad, but so. oh well. 
But that be that being said, we were um I signed up with Ted Cruz in early 2013. And so to be able to see another candidate go from I've never heard of this guy to, you know, to winning a caucus like that, that was yeah, I think that was easily the smartest presidential campaign that I've ever been on. Really? So, um, um yeah. I, you know, we're seeing that not to dive too much into Vivek, but what's been really interesting for me in this year is to sign up for this guy that no one had ever heard of ever literally zero name id zero house file zero everything and um to see him skyrocketing in a, a national poll just came out that hasn't tied for second place with desantis like two hours yeah. ago that's and it's amazing. just been it's just been insane to just be part of something from the ground that's growing like that mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah you're, exactly. you're exactly right um, one, I mean, and that's the great thing about Iowa and New Hampshire and, and South Carolina is that, um, you know, to get through those states, you have to show up and talk to real people, that yeah. there's a real vetting process, a winnowing of the field that, you know, you can't buy your way to the nomination. And that's, you know, that's why these early contests prior to Super Tuesday are so important, because, you know, because a guy like Vivek can get his, you know, he can get his day in the, you know, he can get his hearing, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, Iowa and you know, Iowans love going to see every single candidate. They, you know, they will they will go out of their way to make sure they see and hear every single one of them before they make up their mind. And and I think that's a good thing. I think candidates should have to talk to real people before they get to the White House. Yeah, Iowa's a fun state to play in. It is. So any other fun stories from your time in Iowa? Oh, I got to know. See. Yeah. Did you get your money back? That's the question before we go. Did you get... Oh, yeah your credit card deposit back. Cause I'm, I'm I, still worried about that. Thank you for being concerned about that. Um, you know, as we, as we now say in our, uh, in our business and God, we trust all others prepay. Uh, but yes, exactly. We, we did get I, our money back. I was also on team Romney that mm-hmm. time around. And yeah. uh, that, that was a fun experience. So it was, and um, you know, I still keep in touch with the people who are on that campaign that that I worked with directly. And that's, you know, that's one of the lo- the nice things. Of presidential campaigns are almost like, go, you know, they're almost like going into battle together. You, you know, you have this unique shared experience that, um, you know, that ties you together and you wind up, you know, some of the people you work with on presidential campaigns wind up becoming your best friends, your best clients, your allies that you want to go into battle with every single time. I actually got kicked off of that campaign. What? Yeah. So here's my my quick story before you okay. go. So um, I launched a negative hit website. This was early on when I just learned how to do web stuff. Before I even launched my own company, I was working at another company called First Tuesday Strategies. That was a consulting firm for Romney. Did a bunch of national work, but especially here in South Carolina. And I launched a negative website about Fred Thompson. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was called phonyfred.com. And I got busted. Like I did it anonymously. I did all the things I would thought I was supposed to do, but there's always, you know, there's always someone smarter than you. Right. And I got busted wide open. Um, and they blamed it on Mitt Romney. And I allowed for the Romney campaign to completely throw me under the bus. <laughs> um, and it's not a story I've, I've, I have told it on this podcast before, but I will say I let them throw me under the bus. I took the hit. Mitt Romney actually, um, like in an interview, said something along the lines of that guy, Wesley Donahue, I've never heard of and has nothing to do with my campaign. It's like, all right, I'll, I'll take the licks for the team. And uh, I I let them kick me uh, to the curb and uh, just kind of went underground for like six months. Oh, my gosh. I, 
I think I remember that. I think yeah. I remember that. Yeah, if you Google Wesley Donahue and Phony Fred, it'll come up. It's one of the uh, stupider things I've done in politics. But I was, you know, at that point, 26 years old and just trying to make make a name in politics, trying to let people like me and get to know me. And, you know, I would just be willing to do anything for anybody. And, uh, yeah, you know, when you're young, you do stupid things. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I always tell people, uh, someone asked me a few years ago, that basically like, where the hell did you come from? Um, yeah. it's like I spent the first 10 years, you know, I spent the first 10 years failing on a very small stage and you didn't get to see me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who was it said like, you know, when I was young and stupid, I was young and stupid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, we got to find some work to do together here I'd pretty soon. Um, I've been wanting to, and as the cycle's heating up, uh, we're, we're, still nailing down a bunch of candidates for next cycle. So I'm sure those opportunities are going to present themselves. And uh, for those listening and and want some phone work, what's it just campaignhq.com? Uh, it's chq.us. C, C, A, say it again. Chq.us. Okay, just five letters. US. All right. Yeah. I'll put that into, I'll put that in the podcast description. Awesome. Cool. Nicole, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye.